Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Okay. If you have a Bible, could you grab your Bible um, and turn to the Gospel of Mark? If you're new to Christianity, you kind of go to the middle and turn right and keep going, and uh, you'll, you'll hit it. Gospel of Mark. And um, last week, uh, Robbie as always, served us, I think, fantastically, uh, guiding us through the previous passage, which was just the last sort of story in Mark 3, which was pretty uh, amazing. And I've never seen the context of what we're going to look at today. Mark 4 that we look at now is a famous story about soil types. It's like a farmer agricultural story. It's wonderful. But the context, as I had Robbie's words ringing in my head this week, it was it changed the whole thing um you know shame on me should have known the uh, context rule always know the context right when you look in the bible but anyway i'm just just flesh and blood um but for those of you who don't just well, just to remind us we're looking at this really vivid moment where jesus the scene and this is important really just tune in for a moment this is the scene to have in your head that john mark wants you to have as we look at the soil bit Okay, this is the scene that he deliberately sets up in your mind to have in your in your mind. Jesus is, it seems, very busy, not teaching or healing, but casting out demons. Right? We don't hear a lot about that in the Western Church, but he's doing so much that um, he's led to actually explain what he's doing, and he uses this really like vivid image about the strong man. And I was just thinking about this this week. He's saying, you know, basically this world, you know, we tend to think um, about having different worldviews and each one's equal. And, and I absolutely, in a sense, believe the importance of dignifying different worldviews. A lot of my friends would have a different worldview to Christianity. But the Christian worldview unashamedly does say that this world is in the grip of a personal evil, a strong man called Satan and uh, it's very controversial and it ruffles feathers and people hate the idea of that and I get it I totally get that but but that is what we're confronted with Jesus wasn't politically correct and he says he's saying I am basically wrestling out of the grip of Satan person after person that's what I'm doing and uh, this idea that the world as well as very beautiful actually you know the christian worldview to state the obvious is that there is a very real real personal evil satan the prince of this world who has been sovereignly allowed to have profound influence in this age i mean that's obviously a a huge piece of the bible and i was just even this week some some amongst you went into the tenderloin for a few hours and came back very sobered at the horrors of dead bodies on the street and people just dying and just the evil 
around us that we get used to. These are real people with real names and stories. And our prayer meeting on Tuesday night had a sober feel, but a, a, good, a good soberness, sobriety to it. And um, so last week there was this very, very vivid picture. I mean, I don't know if that is it. Maybe you think about the strong man metaphor a lot. I don't. I, you know, I almost think of like, you know, in the films when like a big strong, like someone's going to be tortured and they have like horrible big strong men who hold the person and they can't get out. And, and I know it's sobering, but that is actually, that is the kind of feel that Jesus is getting at here, which is why what we're doing isn't a joke. Okay, this isn't just about our personal, you know, it's nice to be together. It's like this very urgent feel of like, wake up that, you know, Jesus is saying, if you're not in Christ, you're actually in the grip of someone else. So that's important that we have that in our hearts because what's shocking, now this is the real twist, is you think about this, right, and it's daunting. If you've ever seen like people being set free from demonic influence, I've only seen it a little bit and it's pretty sobering. But, but this is the key. We should be going, thank goodness for Jesus, amen? He's the stronger man. He's like, this is reality, people, and I'm not intimidated by it, and I'm doing my job. There he is, in, building up a sweat, setting people free. The scary thing is this. How do the leaders respond? The God on earth is finally here, setting people free. You know, you can, you can answer. How, how do they respond, the Pharisees? They want to kill him. How do his family respond? They want to find him. They think he's mental. They want to, and yeah, and the Greek is they want to bind him. So it's interesting, John Mark's saying that Jesus is setting people free from being bound by the strong man. His family are being used to try and bind him, to silence him. Now, this is a shocking, shocking scene, right? And Jesus' final words, look with me here, at the end of the shocking scene, he says in verse 35, when someone says, hey, your, your, parent, your family's here, he says, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. And what he's saying is, think about this, he's saying, my, my family, they're against me. They're not doing God's will. They don't like all the mess and the shocking nature of deliverance. It's freaking them out. It's, you know, it's R-rated. I don't want my kids seeing that. And so they're trying to work against me. They're not being obedient. And the leaders, they're a joke. They're trying to kill me. <laughs> so this, this is this lonely picture that Robbie gave us last week. This lonely picture. Jesus is like the only person on planet Earth who is understanding reality. There's a strong man who is dominating this world and is diving in to the hell and actually setting people free. And so he says this haunting challenge. It's only people who do the will of God who are my real spiritual family. I mean, can you imagine if your parents overheard you saying, my mum and dad, they're not my parents. Only people who do the will of God. So again, just to state the obvious, if you think Jesus is this like lovely recycling hippie guy who always said nice things, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. He was very challenging. And it's with this question of obedience, how do we therefore, Jesus, 
be obedient, right? He is this one figure in this previous story who is, who is obedient. He knows the Father's will and he obeys the Father's will. And every single other person in that previous scene is not being obedient. The million dollar question that we should be thinking about then is, well, how do I be obedient with my life? How do I make sure I am not a modern day version of his family? You know, when there's things that come up and I go, oh, I don't want to be involved with that. How do we actually, how do we become a people who are obedient? And and I want to say this, and my title is this. So um, the next slide, please, this. This is my conviction. If you tie these two stories together, the question of how do we then be obedient and not like Jesus' family or the, the, the religious leaders? If we tie the, the question of, that Jesus leaves us with, with the passage from today, which I think answers it, it is this. Can we say this together after three? One, two, three. External obedience relies on internal health. External obedience to God. Hearing him and obeying him only can occur when your inner life is increasingly healthy so let's read together who wants to read for me so it's not just all my voice hand in the air who will be obedient haha thank you. thank you Robbie uh, verse 1 to 20 okay. again he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land He was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, and where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them, and these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, 
but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Thanks, Robbie. Probably a familiar passage to, to many of us, um, but as is always the way, I think, invariably when you read, you read it or hear it read, things jump out fresh, don't they? So just before I waffle on for a while, any thoughts in the group? Any thoughts as you read this? Uh, what jumps out? What, what caught your attention as the passage was read? spent my whole life looking at this passage and thinking that um, that I was the one throwing the seed and that like everyone everyone else was dependent on like right. their life and my job was to be like a faithful thrower and then if I throw enough a portion of it would like produce fruit and it wasn't until just a couple of years ago that I like read it and realized wait a second like I'm not the I'm not the thrower in this <laughs> story like actually Jesus is saying like I need you as yours to hear. Like I, I need to take care of my own heart. Like I need to take care of my own soil. And like you know, Jesus is the one. Or like today, you're the one throwing the seed out from mm. the from the word. You know, the scripture. But it's like everyone, every one of us could hear it differently. Yeah. And it's yeah. It's really kind of sobering from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point, Tim. Anything else? Context, yeah, absolutely. It's also just surprising to see Mark like reference a previous like because he's not writing to Jews. Yeah, that's true. He's writing to people that who likely don't have context of Isaiah. Yeah, that's right, Roman Christian. So it's unusual for him, but yeah. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Or you, or people have been 
you right. born, you know, like yes. for that soil of your heart. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think this story always like I'm like, oh wonderful that I have some good good soil but mm-hmm. it's, it's a hard one. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's a lot in here. Um, and I think it's, uh, when I read it, it kind of has this twofold impact. At one level, it feels just very challenging. I don't know, anyone else here read this and just feel quite challenged? I mean, you know, you don't need me to explain it. It's like, yeah, we get it, Tom. <laughs> you know, it's quite, whew, it is challenging. But, and we're going to look at those, we are going to feel the challenge. We're going to unpack it a little bit and look at those, those three bad soils, okay? It's just worth mentioning them. But also, it is actually very hopeful First of all, because I think experientially, you can shift significantly, quickly, from any of those three bad soils into a a tangibly better internal heart state much quicker than I think sometimes we realize. You can go from a hard heart to a much softer heart really quick. Hallelujah. You really can. And you can go from a shallow heart to a deepening soulful heart much quicker than often we realize and we can go from a cluttered inner life to a simplified inner life friends actually much quicker than the enemy wants us to believe i think secondarily look at the fourth soil right i mean i think we sometimes it's so shocking the first three you don't even hear the fourth but the fourth one is like if you if you Make this a priority in your life, like, you know, in the Proverbs. Above all else, yes, guard your heart, because from it is the wellspring of life. If you do make having good soil a massive priority in your life more than other stuff, the promise that Jesus gives isn't like there'll be double the energy you put in. It's 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It's like, Tom, what is, how, I've got a brief moment on this life before I meet God. How do I know what a priority is? Jesus, from his very lips, he's saying, if you give yourself more than just activity and energy and franticness to, as best as you can, partnering with Jesus, in, in, in him, the great farmer, who's working in your soul, that activity is so valuable to God. I want to... I'm getting a bit Pentecostal and I'm, I'm almost out of my chair. It's so important to him. But it's, many of us are secret materialists, which means we think of reality only with material eyes, physicalists. And you don't think of your soul as even a real thing because it's invisible. <laughs> How crazy is that? Even though there's a million examples of invisible things that are real. We still think, well, I'm not going to give much energy to that. I'm going to give my energy to all the other stuff of life. And God's like, No! Believe it's a real thing. So there's such hope here. And the, the other thing I'd say here, the third hopeful thing is look at the farmer. Look at how this farmer, he's so kind. I mean, commentators point out that like every single scrap of this ground is getting like deluged in seed. Even the path, even the hard hearts, even the rocky places. This farmer, you know, if, if it's me, if there's something valuable, I give it to to well-deserving people, right? To good soil. We were talking about even how, you, you know, food banks, how do you, how you need to give it to people who've been ref- referred to. And I get that. I understand that. This is not Jesus, right? Jesus is like, off this seed everywhere because his hope, his hope is even on hard hearts or thorny hearts or thorny soils or shallow soils. 
man the picture and it's important that we have this through as we look at this the picture of the generous extravagance of this middle eastern farmer who is not farming in little neat lines like we think of in the west he is scattering it scattering it scattering it man that fills our hearts with what fills me anyway like even when i'm hard-hearted which is so often i can see his seed his word his goods his kindness still coming through a thousand means amen Amen. so this this is really important that you hear this because it's challenging but don't miss the obvious which this farmer that you're called to know he adores you despite your hard heart despite your shallow heart and despite your cluttered heart amen that and you only change if you feel safe around him if you feel like he's going to condemn you you're never going to be honest today so let's look at these three soils and how we shift in the perspective of this kind farmer how do we shift from hard hearts to soft from shallow to deepening or for the sense for the you know for the sake of alliteration i think if we get the next slide up from hard to soft from shallow to soulful see what i did there uh, from cluttered to simplified jesus wants us to have soft soulful and simplified hearts okay first of all then we see here the hard heart is described in verse 4 and 14 he says um about he says um assume some people are like seed along the path verse 15 where the word is sown as soon as they hear it satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them so it's an obvious picture the first soil type is is this you just see literally like a path in your mind's eye and that's like like some of the hearts the hard hearts that jesus was surrounded with maybe the pharisees are in his mind at this point but it's 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 that kind of state that we get into certainly i do when you know i feel more emotion about other things than i do about christ i don't know if you've ever seen that in your life you feel feel more emotion about your sports team winning or losing than you do trying to look look, not look look dave in the eye uh, soccer score this week came in but when your your heart is actually subtly hard about the things of Jesus, not just necessarily generally, you might still love your kids and you know, but the things of that. And and, and so what happens is your your no muscle but gets very strong. You're very good at saying no to things. Um, sometimes we can get hard hearts just through hurt and just being overwhelmed. I know for me, when I get a hard soil in my heart, I tend to become more demanding, more like entitled, and more perfectionist, just in general. And, and, and in those times, it's like the Word of God, I might be around it, and I'm not just, I'm obviously the, the seed of God, but obviously this is the number one seed, in it comes, the Word. But the Bible's clear that God speaks through the seed comes through all of creation. It comes through movies that we watch. It comes through a thousand different ways. God pours forth speech through all of creation. But when we're in this sort of um, heart place, we're just slightly numb, right? And for some reason, the things are not really going in. We know it in our heads, but it's not in our hearts. I think it's scarily similar to the pervasive San Francisco skepticism 
that we live in, right? San Franciscans pride themselves on not being naive or too enthusiastic like those SoCalers or others, you know? There's, you know, Hollywood's down there. We, we are thinkers here. And we like to, you know, like, and, and I'm not against thinking, but it's a scarily similar kind of place when we get to that point um, where we're just not really, you know, it's, it's not even getting into our hearts to begin with. I wonder how you're feeling today after the last few years, <laughs> after politicians, politics, you know, pastors falling like, you know, nine pins, wars between flocks and their pastors and just, I wouldn't be surprised if many of us today actually do feel maybe it's more subtly hard than we even realise, you know? More entitled, more kind of demanding. What I want to notice, point out here, is notice that all the responsibility is on in this situation is on the soil. It is not on the quality of the seed or the quality of the farm who, farmer who sows it. So sometimes people say, like, oh wow, it's a real responsibility to preach, right? And it is. This is actually saying in some ways it's almost a bigger responsibility for us when we are listening. Because we can't say, oh, if I had a better seed or a better sower, you know, then I would be more responsive. He's saying, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. The, the condition of your heart is entirely our responsibility. That soil, that is the situation. It's not that it's this sort of multifaceted thing of good seed and good sowing techniques and great climate. No, no, he's saying, today, what is your heart like? Where is it, friend? You know, where, where is my heart? Um, someone once said, the funny thing is with the heart, a soft heart is a strong heart. And a hard heart is a weak heart. It's true. And again, you just think about Jesus, his heart filled with compassion. He's the one with the, with the real soft heart. He's the one that wants us to, to come under his kind gaze and to be those who are honest about um, how we're doing on this. So three things we can do, really simple. We need to check out our hearts, first of all. And I would say this is reliant on community. Not entirely. David says, search me, O Lord, right? But I, it's almost impossible to know the state of your heart in isolation, I think. I think all, you can think you're fine, right? And then you meet another human. <laughs> and they drive in a certain way. Or they just are annoying. There's just that conversation is just frustrating. And you're like, oh my gosh, I did not realize. Is this just me or anyone here? You know, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, oh! And it's this subtle thing has, has crept in. And it's, it's really important. You might want to ask that question. How, I mean, you might not literally ask it, but when you're with another human, I wonder how they are experiencing me right now are they experiencing me as someone with a soft curious heart or something different it's crazy how the tending of your heart you can know the bible you can even be around community but it can fail um, in keeping your heart soft it's like Wayne Grudem who's a famous theologian and Bible translator he tells the funny story of when he was in Cambridge translating the ESV Bible 
15 years ago or something and he was for a year him and his friends were these these brainy guys and every day they had eight hours you know going through and translating it and in the end he was so tired he stopped having his own devotionals because he was like well i'm in the bible all day you know like i'm literally translating i'm writing a new bible so um but it was head knowledge and he said after two weeks he noticed and he wrote down these like 15 characteristics he became more irritable more grouchy more self-obsessed more uh just basically hard-hearted and he said what happened was i i wasn't reading the bible in context in a devotional way where there was actually a community around me who could speak into me and say hey wayne I've noticed this is going on with you at the moment. And we live in a time where isolation and Christians are more isolated than ever before, right? Because of all that's happened. So this is huge. We need to check out our hearts in the context of community. We need to also be those who then cry out to the Lord for his healing and his help. Remembering that he is someone who understands, listen, being in the world around let's use the e word because we started today with it evil when you're in a world that has evil in it that does impact you and that's okay right in your fighting of a good fight you will you know if you walk around the tenderloin if you meet people who are going through difficult things if you face depression if you face if you turn on the news it will it's hard to keep your heart soft right that's not, that's not a thing to be ashamed of. You read the book of Job, man, that guy faced some huge evil. God allowed evil into his life and he is battling to keep his, soft, his heart soft. And he doesn't always get it right. But it's, you come to, we cry out to the Lord, we come out to the Lord. And remember, again, we come to the Lord and to those people that the Lord has put in your life to represent him to you i.e. not just you and him but who are the men and women in our lives who you trust that you can be in their presence and and they will actually help you understand the state of your heart yeah so we're not just running to and fro but we've actually got specific people in our lives who remind us of that farmer who remind us of the kind and challenging farmer i I can think of two or three older men who in the last few years God has kind of brought into my life but basically I've sought out their, their regular time who remind me of the need to keep my heart soft. Men who have been through a lot of fire and a lot of pain and have learned to keep crying out to the Lord, soften my heart, soften my heart. So it's not just going to the Lord, it is, but it's like really practical who are the people in our lives that you know, man, when I'm with that person, you ever have that experience when you're with a certain person, and I've had this many times, I suddenly feel like I'm ex- they're just, they're, their countenance, their sense of the joy of the Lord, their sense of contentment, just somehow it's like a light's gone on, and I'm suddenly, oh, I didn't realize I was in that place until I was with you. I have several people who regularly have that impact. They don't know that's what's happening. But when I'm with them, I suddenly feel like that prodigal son. Like, it, oh, I've, I've got into a place of hardness again. I'm in those clothes. And there's no condemnation from that person, but I can just look at them. One couple, they live there. April, 
and Evan. And if you don't know them, I mean, I can introduce them. They're in the 80s. They both went to Harvard, then got disillusioned with capitalism, radical, Christi uh, radical conversions to Christianity, They're, and they have spent the last 30 years opening up their home to homeless men. So she's on an oxygen mask in her bed down there, and she's got men who come into the house, like filled all the time, and he's 80. And he's just glowing. Little guy, white hair, and I got introduced to them through a friend, and I was just like, I'm in the presence of angels. And there's never even a hint of like, why aren't you doing more Tom for the unhoused? Never a scrap. They just feel blessed because they know the Lord and they're doing what he's called them to. And when I'm with them, I'm like, man, I need to be around people like that. I need to say, God, give me people because that is actually, they are wise and they're going to be in heaven probably quite soon. And I'm surrounded with people who aren't ultimately necessarily making the same good soil their priority, right? And this, this city is filled with a very different vibe. So first question then, from hard to soft, we need to be those who check out our hearts and we cry out to the Lord. I know it's obvious, but let me ask us, how, how are we doing on that here today? Second soil that we see is the shallow soil, right? You know the story. There's some kind of, it says, you know, the plants spring up uh, and they're all excited and then the sun comes and it says through trouble, and that's that general word there, so we can't wriggle out trouble of some kind and persecution which is people so this second soil type is i would describe it as shallow it's superficial it's kind of fickle it's kind of faithless it's like hey yeah i'm really friendly in the moment or right, let's let's have some more alliteration it's the kind of it's when we are gushing in one moment and then ghosting the next you know, is it just me or is this, is this a little bit of a, a world that we live in where there's this kind of, there's this, there is emotion, you know, and particularly in Gen Z, you know, those 20, 25 and under, there's a lot of emotion, but there's not necessarily always the coupling of that with endurance and faithfulness. And Jesus is saying, you know, there is a whole nother state of heart that we can get into not just where it's hard but where there is some level of, of emotion but basically when and it's interesting it says as the sun comes as the sun rose then the troubles and the persecution comes and that picture is quite powerful because it's almost like saying when you actually start to listen to the word the sun will rise it's like the inevitable next step of hearing what the lord is saying and taking it to heart it's not it's not like it's um a sign that something's wrong when there's heat in our lives where is the heat in your life right now <laughs> where does it feel really arid and dry and just hot and uncomfortable i mean this this whole scene that this is happening in you know in the middle in the in the near east would have been very dry very hot we were in visalia central valley two weeks ago it was like 110 most days you know it's like wow this is this is really intense and jesus is saying that kind of feeling and experience is is inevitable in the christian life but if we do not if we do not come into following christ expecting that 
you know, we tend to pull out when there's pain rather than push in. Let me ask you that question. What, are you the sort of person who, with pain, you tend to pull out or do you tend to push, push in when there's relational pain or spiritual pain or, or even physical, you know? I, I think for many of us, we tend to, tend, I just know for me, I hate pain. I absolutely hate it. Um, I love comfort. I love things to be comfortable. Um, but again, we think about Jesus, right? Because we're meant to be becoming like Jesus. So he's not just soft-hearted. The second picture, he's also, he's got an ability to endure pain that we need to grow in. It says about Jesus, he was a man of sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. So Jesus wasn't just spirited and joyful, although he was. He was actually sad at times and I would argue angry righteously sad and angry now the thing the reason I mention that is because if our hero that we're being made into the image of the great agenda of your life is not comfort but is to be making Tanner more like Jesus and Phil more like Jesus and Ryan more like that is the big agenda well what does Jesus look like well he had a huge heart and a huge soul that could hold the sorrow and compassion and pain of this world without pulling out, right? One person said a pastor's job is to sit with people in their pain as much as possible because we cannot grow without pain. We know that there's no progress in this life without pain. So rather than us always pulling out of the heat, I think there's this second invitation is are we a people... um, who are willing to sit in that painful atmosphere. In fact, if you think about the the preceding picture again, there's some measure of discomfort kicking off with his his family, right? That's where they're like, quick, he's crazy. They're not in a comfortable place. But that's causing them to work against the purposes of God and trying to get Jesus to stop doing it. So I guess our question then is, are there areas in our life where there is real pain and, and, and heat. And, and what is our MO? What is our natural way of responding to those things in our life? Again, if I'm thinking, wait a minute, if Jesus is someone who even now in heaven has scars, you know, he has his transformed body, but he, you know, if he has scars, like Thomas says, I, I want to put your hands in your way. There is something about your vision of your hero that needs to include a kind of soulfulness. And this is massive. In the Western church, and I'm from a charismatic background, and I praise God for that, and I am an enthusiast, and I will spin and dance and get very excited, okay? Particularly when people like my brother come to know Jesus. I cannot contain it. But at the same time, and we say this often, but it's massive. For us to be a, a community that leans into pain, your own pain, to know that Jesus doesn't pull out, like the soil, the shallow soil, yeah? Just like, you know, so many people say, I, the, if I'm in a place of pain, the last place I'm coming is to church. That breaks my heart. Because we should be the most soulful people in the world. Because our king, you know, the image that we, we, some of us have is a cross. It's like pain, and, and it's redeeming the place of pain 
to be a place of obedience to our King. So I want to actually encourage you, if you're in a place today where there's heat and there's pain and you're maybe thinking, man, this is something wrong, of course it's a, you know, I'm giving you sound bites. You need to work out between, between you and the Lord and trusted friends what's going on. But what we see here is really crucial. If you sign up for the Marines, you're expecting pain, right? I would imagine. If you sign up for the SAS or some other, you're expecting, even if you join a sports team, your expectation is like pain and difficulty and working out. It's strange somehow in Christianity, we're, like, we're going to try and follow Jesus and we don't understand that that's going to be a life of holy discipline and pain, right? It's just so weird that we're so intelligent and yet we get so baffled. I get so baffled. So we need to be ready for it. And then we, we look to our Jesus. Who is the Jesus in your mind? Is he the one that is proud of you when you feel very weak and fragile and wobbly? Why? Because you're staying in that place of pain. You're saying, I'm, I'm trying to be obedient to you, Lord. I'm not just pressing eject. Man, I have been forced into that place. The older I've got, again and again and again, and I want to get out. I want to drink more. I want to eat more. I want to go on holiday more. I want, to do, I want to escape in my head more. I want to Netflix it out more. I want to do anything. And those things aren't all wrong. You hear my heart on that. But there is this sense of this farmer saying, no, no, I want to, I want to help you to understand that there is, there is gold in those places that is really, really crucial. I, I had this experience at Easter where as we went through the Stations of the Cross leading up to it, for the first time in my life, I really just sat with Jesus in my mind's eye as he was betrayed, as he was hung on a cross, as he was stripped naked, as he was tortured. I just sat with it. And you know, it did something in me. And I know many of us have had this kind of experience where I realized that that was kind of, in a way, Jesus' most successful moment. You could say he was most, he was profoundly obedient. The most costly moment looked like that. For some of you, God is so proud of you as you have started to grow in going, oh, every part of my old self <laughs> wants to just check out. But between me and him, I think this is my tiny version of that right now. Some of you know what, what I mean. And I just feel like he is so proud of you as you take one more step to ridding yourself of that shallow soil and becoming someone with some depth, right? Some depth. I had this moment where, and I won't go into details, in my, my family uh, a few weeks ago, I suddenly noticed, honestly, just about everyone was having some battles, real emotional battles. And the old Tom would want to just kind of like, I don't know, try and lift the mood. Or, you know, cheerlead. Oh, you're not really, Lilla. you're brilliant, you know? And I noticed how I was actually able to just, I'm not perfect, obviously, but be able to be more soulfully present. To just sit and be, not try and solve it. To Believe it or not, not even to talk sometimes. Just to be present. Hallelujah, man. Sounds so obvious. What... You know, we talk a lot about success for us is loving well one person at a time. What does that mean for our neighbours and our friends? 
who many of whom the thing that will connect us is pain we can come with hearts that are growing in uh, in ever increasing depth depth you know that you know this quote c.s lewis he famously said god speaks to us in our pleasures um so he whispers to us in our pleasures and he speaks to us in our consciences but he shouts to us in our pain pain is god's megaphone to a deaf world and aw tozer famously also said he said i doubt if god can ever use a man or woman greatly until he has wounded a man or woman deeply and what he's saying is is like the kind of character that you get through allowing god's the, the heat to come does something to you that enables you to actually carry the blessing that he wants you to and without that there isn't there isn't a way through finally from cluttered to simplified from cluttered to simplified um, again we see here in verse uh, 18 and 19 it says um, still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word oh my goodness like i have to admit like you were saying tim i know we can definitely read this and be like oh as we are evangelists and lots of people in the world won't be interested that's a legitimate way of understanding it i.e we are the seed thrower but when you spin it and you're like oh wait wait a minute what's the soil like in my heart weirdly i feel like all three soils convict me somehow i don't know how that works but like, i feel really hard in some areas and quite kind of like numb and then in other areas i feel like just just quite shallow and um prone to just try and find relief at all costs but even with this this idea of just like a cluttered inner life cluttered just really cluttered and if you again if you want alliteration it helps me those three things jesus says so brilliantly you could say are, are worries wealth and want right and uh it's like he, he he picks this sort of unholy trinity just to challenge us with right at the end it's interesting all three of these things are just huge they're like sermons right each one you just think about them briefly like anxiety and worry i mean i've spoken about this a lot in my own life and it's interesting because with anxiety again again just let this sink in the world tends to treat anxiety only with compassion or sympathy right and i get that i've been prone to i've felt so much anxiety in my life from stuff in my past and that in god is love but love sometimes doesn't always just say, oh, I'm so sorry, you're a worrier. Just who you are. He's saying it can literally, it says it chokes the word, strangles it. Again, it's this alarming picture. Like if, if we just go, oh, anxiety and worries, it's just, it's just who I am. I'm a, worry, I'm a worrier. I've said that about myself. He's like, well, I think if I read what Jesus is saying, he's like, but no, 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 no. Like, I want to I want to lovingly challenge you Tom that I can give you the seeds so you can start to change and of course this side of Christ's return will all be a work in progress 
But there is this challenge, and that's important, because a biblical worldview is not just the same as a psychological worldview. And I love psych, as my degree was in psychology, and I love it, and I love therapy, and I love counselling, and I love the coming together of cognitive neuroscience and biblical principles. I love it. But there are points where it's like, do you see worry as you a victim? Tom, I'm a victim of anxiety. I know, I definitely think that. And there's some real reasons why, because of my scary past. My body went into like freeze mode. But he's like, yeah, but actually, Tom, I want to lovingly challenge you because it will choke the word. He's, what he's saying is you can, and this, I literally have, I, you know, you pick up the Bible one way, one, the biggest way that the seed comes, and you're unconsciously so anxious like in the morning or whenever. You're, you're reading it and then your head's here. And then your head's here, right? You're scattered. You're not simplified. There isn't that one thing. You know, David says, one thing, O Lord, I seek. I'm reading this and I can't even get into it. It's being choked because I'm just carrying so much unprocessed worry. And then he he talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Again, most of us aren't like, oh, I really just want lots of piles of money, right? We know this. Why is money mentioned so often? It's because it, it whispers any of the big four idols that we struggle with, which is nearly always control, comfort, approval, and power. Nearly always it's one of those four somewhere. Money actually says, I can give you that which you're lusting after more than Jesus. So for me, it's not like I want a massive house, although I wouldn't mind it, but you know, or some, I want to drive a gold Bentley. You know, that's not my challenge. My challenge is I want to have tons of savings to feel safe, which is control. I don't actually really want to trust that Jesus is going to give me my daily bread. Oh, I say that, but really I want to have, and so I look quite holy because I talk about shopping at Goodwill and, you know, we just have old stuff and that's true. But I can love money just as much as someone who's got lots of blame, right? Because it's just, it's, it's giving me, it's, it's lying to me. So, so even now, I just want to say like, is, is that something in your life? That you're like, yeah, that's choking stuff out. It's choking stuff out. I, I know that can be an, an issue with me. Or even this last phrase, the desires for other things, which is just kind of where your wants are. One person once said, um, your emotion follows your devotion. What you get emotional about really tells you where your devotion really is, what you really want. So if you think, oh yes, it's all about Jesus. Some questions are, emotionally, what, what, what do we worry about most? Number two, what do we daydream about most? Number three, what if we didn't have, would we be furious about and not just frustrated? Often those, those emotions actually follow the things that we're deep down really devoted to. And Jesus is saying, man, what he's saying through this is like, the tending of the soil of your soul, which I have attempted to rattle through very quick, he is like, it is, it is far from automatic that the soil of your soul will be in a good place. <laughs> but take heart, 
he's also saying the fruit oh the fruit of even a half-baked attempt at doing a bit of gardening with with the king right oh i'm hard <coughs> need to get a bit of you know pickaxe in there or something you know or i'm just shallow i need to grow some depth or i'm just cluttered and i'm going to take one baby step towards turning my phone off or doing something that helps me try to simplify there is this blend of challenge but such encouragement from the farmer that he wants us to grow in this he wants us to grow in this let me ask you this question particularly if you're a parent here many of us are parents not all of us what is your one big success metric as a parent and i was like for my kids like i can believe that i need to give my kids lots of different things right i think jesus would say maybe the biggest gift you can give your kids is the state of your soul what does it profit a man or woman to gain the whole world if he loses his soul so what i'm saying is is like i feel like i need to give daisy lily and poppy lots of things and, and i i hope i hope we do but i think jesus is like actually the priority of your inner life which they're going to feel more than necessarily even cognitively know all about is like huge now i know we all feel immediately condemned okay i feel condemned even saying that i think it's true that's why i'm daring to say it to myself i think it's honestly true when i'm actually in a moment of kind of calm i think no i do think that is true and i've even met rare kids grown-up kids who actually really love and respect their parents <laughs> they are there they do exist i was with one in kansas city recently and she's in her 20s and i, I said something like why now stop because she was talking about her parents not just in a, in a nice way, but I could tell she really, really respected them. And she said something like, because of the way that they handled pain and difficulties and trials in their life. She said it straight away. It, what, and she didn't come from a wealthy background. She came from a very humble place. She said it, and she said, that is why I still wanna live near them. That's why I still wanna be in their lives. Because I basically really respect their souls, is what she was saying. And I was like, man, thank you. That's so helpful. Now, we're, we're all going to be broken and a mess in, into some part, okay? Remember the farmer. Remember the joy-filled farmer who relentlessly, even when your heart is hard and your heart feels clogged up or your heart feels shallow, it doesn't mean he turns off the seed. Hallelujah. So even today, as you have breath in your lungs and you hear this probably slightly convicting word, maybe, for some of us, he's saying, but all the difference in the world is the countenance of the farmer right all the difference in the world is the personality of the one that you bring your heart to and we all struggle to believe and have faith that he is as kind and as generous and as extravagant as he actually is so we come feeling challenged but we also come to one who is celebrating he is celebrating every single little step that you take. Do you know that? I really mean that. Like, it's crucial that you realize your inner critic, your perfectionist, Tom, Josie, Robbie, whoever, that voice is not the voice of this kind father and this kind farmer. He is one who says, well done, Tim. Well done, Amanda, as you take those baby steps. Even this week, 
I had the situation with a quite a kind of confident, powerful leadery person, and he was talking about. And I, you know, when you feel like you're in, you think, oh, I know I've got to say this thing, and I don't want to say it because I'm going to have to challenge them. Oh, they hate challenge. I hate it more than thing. The reason I hate challenge is because my want for me, the biggest want of my life, is approval. So I'm like, you know, desire for want, for, you know, the, the want of other things. Do I do that? Or do I actually lean into the good soil that, can, that has grown? So there was a pausing conversation and I said, I do just think I need to be honest. And then I said it. And I said it with gentleness, but I said it honestly. And this very confident leader received it and really, really well. And that doesn't always happen, but they did to their credit. And, and this person was like, oh, that's really helpful. I, and it was the crucial moment. Our like polite 45 minute long dinner, lunch meeting went to two and a half hours. And we broke through into a whole level of friendship. And he was, and it just changed the atmosphere. And it all was because in that moment, that new little bit of good soil in me, that I've had to work really, really, really hard, tending. I'm not gonna give in to the want of, for me, of people pleasing but I want to do the, the obedient to the Father and he wants there to be truth right now, so I'm going to do it. And I came away so proud of myself, in a good way. I was like, I mean, and even the fact, not that I did it, but then afterwards I could hear this like, not literally, someone clapping, but like this little woohoo, this sense of my father going, well done, Tom. That soil, that soil that's gone through a lot of fight, it is growing and it is changing bit by bit. And every time, we make those little moments. Even, even if you blow it and then you say sorry, that's a massive good soil moment. It's massive. Amen? So let's just take a moment. We'll pause there.